0: Welcome to the Charlotte Readers Podcast, where books and writing topics are center stage and authors give voice to the written words. I'm Landis Wade, and on behalf of my co-hosts, Hannah LaRue and Sarah Archer, we thank you for listening.
1: The Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Listen to your city at queencitypodcastnetwork.com.
0: Hey readers and writers, welcome to this episode number 333 of Charlotte podcast, Beyond 300. I'm here with co-host Sarah Archer and Hannah Rue, and we've got a great lineup for you today.
2: Yeah, we sure do. We're going to feature author Jen Bouchard in her novel First Course, a recipient of 14 awards. It's a story about family and relationships, amazing food, and life's second act.
3: And then we feature book two of the Write Quote series titled Learning to Write with audio versions of the Forward and the Reflections, and a peek by the host at some of the quotes.
0: Yeah, we finished up today with reading recommendations, book pitches, community and listener engagement, and what's coming in the next episode. But uh, first, uh, let's check in with us, the hosts, and see what's happening. Uh, what's happening,
3: Hannah? <laughs> um, Gosh, what is happening? Um, I feel like I'm extra tired this morning because Gwen uh, is teething right now. So that's probably the biggest uh, thing that I'm dealing with in my life. She was up at like i don't even know probably all night at some point i was just like ma'am <laughs> i like <laughs> i can't even really function right now so <laughs> did you know, you know i'm just morally supporting that process for her uh <laughs> Yeah,
0: <laughs> uh, this, is, this is when you need to put books to a different use you just stick them in her mouth yes you know? ex- exactly uh, i'll
3: just i'll stuff them in her mouth um our our right quote series book is perfect sizing for that um i've yeah. i've used yeah. my uh yeah the book eight that i just got in the mail yesterday to stuff it in her mouth and get her to be quiet so
0: well you know we won't we want everybody to digest all the good that's a one way to do it <laughs>
3: so you're getting lots of tips on parenting today folks
0: exactly she'll be, and, and then as she eats it she'll be t- she'll be talking you know, like a writer she's you know, spewing so. information yeah. out of all
3: of her friends so
0: <laughs> she can help you with your career Hannah if she's smarter reads the, than me give her the marketing she's a real storyteller
3: <laughs> yeah. exactly. uh,
0: Sarah how about you what's happening
3: Uh,
2: nothing quite that fun. (laughs) Um, let's see. So over the weekend, um, the Charlotte Art League had an exhibit that I participated Mm -hmm. in, which was, um, it's a frastic exhibit. So basically they have poets and artists and they pair you up and the poets will write um a poem based on a a piece of art so we had the exhibit opening for that on friday which is a lot of fun i got to see a lot of local writer people from like the charlotte writers club and charlotte lit um let's see i think if this is coming out on april 4th uh in a few days from now on the 8th we're going to be doing um a workshop with uh the charlotte writers club about the Write quote series so i'm sure i'll be getting ready for that and looking forward to it
3: and yeah
0: yeah, so that will be fun. Uh, we're going to do that uh, in conjunction with the Charlotte Writers Club. And uh, if you're listening to this, uh, that will be, as, as Sarah said, April the 8th uh, here in Charlotte. It'll be uh, live at uh Southminster off of uh, Park Road across from South Mecklenburg High School. And uh, if you want to sign up for that, uh, we'll have some links. Uh, maybe if y'all can remind me, I'll add that to our link tree uh, link, and uh, we'll put that in the next newsletter. And uh, you can look for that uh, link there and just sign up. And the first uh, 50 people are gonna get uh, a free print copy of the first book in the series, the uh, right quotes, the writing life. We're gonna talk about not only books one and two at that uh, session, but uh, we're gonna have a little panel discussion about uh, marketing and indie versus traditional publishing. So it'll be a lot of fun a couple of hours, it'll be great. Uh, well, in my world, um, Besides uh, blowing up my house to try to sell it and uh, get something else—not so, literally, I yeah, hope. not, not literally—for any of y'all that think about buying it, no, we're not blowing it up. We're just fixing holes, <laughs> <laughs> pressure washing, you know, painting, all this kind of stuff. So, uh, but uh, I was recently on um, a podcast Sarah was on. It d- didn't last long. It's called the Page One Podcast. Uh, they take your book and they don't tell you the title and they read you the first page and. And they give you a little something about it, and if it interests you, then uh, then uh, maybe you'll go buy it. So kind of interesting concept. So check that out. The page one podcast is fun to listen to. Those uh, uh, you can probably listen to nine of those episodes in the time it takes you to listen to us talk about what's up with the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the other thing is that uh, I was recently on Grace Salmon's uh, podcast, The Storytellers, which is on the authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Um, we we did a dive into uh, uh, deadly decorations and also writing and also this Write quote series so that's fun it's uh, about a 20-minute interview we'll try to maybe put that in the next newsletter or link uh, for that uh, and uh, yeah so that's up um, with me and y'all and hey let's take a very short break for a message here uh, and we will be right back with act one our interview for today
2: We have an affiliation with Libro.fm because you can get audiobooks from them, and when you do, you support independent bookstores. If you'd like to sign up with them for your audiobooks, use the promo code Charlotte Reader and claim your free audiobook.
0: All right, here we are with Act One with the interview section of the show. Uh, the, the author is Jim Bouchard. The book is uh, First Course. Uh, Sarah, tell us about Jen. Jen.
2: Sure. So um, this is her debut novel, First Course. It was published in 2021 by Touchpoint Press. It's won 14 awards and distinctions, which is awesome, including two Eric Hoffer awards. Um, And she talked a little bit in our interview about how uh, she got those awards and the effect of them. So listen for that part. Um, She's also had short stories placed in numerous publications. Her second novel, Palms on the Cape, is going to be published this year by Touchpoint Press. She lives in the Boston suburbs with her husband and her two teenage kids, Um, and she's been a high school social studies teacher for 23 years. She's also an avid cook. There's a lot of cooking in this book, so it's fun to hear about her recipes. Um, She's a devoted Red Sox fan, and she's currently writing a rom-com.
0: All right, I guess the New York Yankees fans won't listen, but that's okay. (laughs) The other half of the world can listen. That's good. Uh, so, Hannah, tell us a little bit about the book. Yeah, I love book.
3: hearing there's a lot of cooking in there. That's one of my favorite things when I read is just to feel like I'm eating something. So, <laughs> this story is about family and relationships <laughs> and, yes, amazing food and life's second acts. Um, after four life-altering catastrophes hit in just one day, including the loss of her parents in a tragic plane crash, a mix-up with the alumni office at her parents' alma mater introduces 24-year-old Janie to a high school guidance counselor named Rocky. I love that name for a character. <laughs> At a volunteer event, and their fast-tracked romance helps Janie to see possibilities beyond the life she had known just a few weeks prior. Um, but with her ex-boyfriend and former boss making overtures beyond her wildest dreams and her sister Alyssa's estranged husband willing to do whatever it takes to win her sister back, the Whitman sisters are faced with big decisions. Ooh. Da-dum, da da yeah,
0: so. <laughs> Uh, Emily Belden, author of Hot Mess and Husband Material. Those sounds like nice, fun Mm -hmm. titles there. Uh, Says this about the book. The food and the characters are equally scrumptious in First Course. A delicious debut from Jen Bouchard. All right. Sounds fun. We look forward to listening to that. Uh, Well, let's, hey, let's listen to uh, Sarah's interview with Jen right now.
2: All right. I'm glad to have Jen Bouchard, author of First Course here on the podcast. Thanks for joining us, Jen. Thanks so much, Sarah. I'm so glad to be here. Um, I'm super excited to talk to you about this book and about uh, marketing as well. We're going to get into some of those questions later because I know you've done a lot of really cool things to market this book. Um, But first, let's just talk a little bit about the story and the characters. I know The main character, Janie, loves to cook. She's a great chef, um, and food plays a significant role throughout the book. Can you talk a little bit about the relationship between writing and cooking for you? Um, Like, do you ever get writing ideas while you're cooking?
4: Definitely. Um, I'm an avid home cook, um, similar to Janie in that way. We're different in other ways. But um, I really started cooking, um, I would say, probably around my mid-20s, which is you know, the age of her character in first course. And a lot of it was because um, my husband and I were living in the Chicago area and a lot of our friends were relocating um, across the country at that point. And so we were almost a rest stop <laughs> for a, a number of our friends. And so very quickly, I started, you know, thinking about, well, what is it that, you know, people enjoy eating and what's great after you've been driving all day um, or, you know, you don't have a lot of time. And I started making a lot of small plates, a lot of appetizers and things like that. And so I think that was a lot of the inspiration for me for first course was thinking about myself at that age and the kinds of things that I was cooking for friends. Um, and I definitely, when I am working on a new writing project, I spend a lot more time really thinking about the food that I'm cooking and what might be great to include in, in a book or a story.
2: Yeah, I could totally see that. Um, and I'm I'm definitely, if I'm ever coming your way, I want to stop by and have you cook for Anytime. me. Anytime. Everything you were describing in the book sounded so good. <laughs> um, did you cook anything to celebrate the publication of this novel since it was your debut?
4: Well, we, we ended up having this really fantastic outdoor cocktail party. And um, I decided I was not going to do the cooking for this um, for once. But we did kind of go with the theme. And um, we had a lot of appetizers and some beautiful charcuterie from one of our favorite Italian restaurants in the Boston area, Etavola. And they did all sorts of wonderful um, meat and cheese for us and pickled vegetables and things like that. So, and everybody loved it. It was gone within, I think, you know, 15 minutes. We put it out. So, Mm. um, so we definitely (laughs) did stick with the theme.
2: Yeah, that sounds good. Um, Another thing that kind of, comes up on a recurring basis throughout the book is music. You have references to artists like uh, Billy Joel, Jim Croce, Ben Folds. Um, Does music ever inspire you while you're writing? Definitely. I mean, I have been
4: to, gosh, I think I've seen Billy Joel four times and I think I've seen Ben Folds now four times. Um, And so I was really thinking a lot about the characters and the role that music played in in their lives. Um, And it's interesting too, because I find that For each book, I've just finished writing my third book. And for each book I've written, I end up gravitating towards a different playlist as I'm writing. And so the Ben Folds thing happened. I kind of discovered him while I was initially drafting First Course, which was quite a while ago now. And um, and just for whatever reason, that's what I wanted to listen to as I wrote the book. Um, But then the book that I wrote, Palms on the Cape, that's coming out later this year, I listened to jazz almost exclusively while I wrote it. And I have no idea why there's hardly any jazz in the book, but it just, it just felt right. So, um, I think, you know, but I, I do think a lot about the characters and what kinds of music they listen to for sure.
2: Yeah, it is interesting how music can put you in such a specific emotional state, I think, which sometimes is what you really need to get into the right place to write something. Um, even if you don't know why there's a connection there, Absolutely. <laughs> so somehow it makes sense. Definitely. Um, yeah, and there's there's a few different storylines in this book, but I think really the heart of the story is the romance between Janie and Rocky. Um, what do you look for in a romance story? What makes for a really compelling romantic storyline to you? I've
4: thought about this a lot because I think about you know what what do I like to read and and what do what do readers really enjoy and um, you know I think a lot about relationships and what what attracts people to each other but then what also works beyond that you know initial attraction you know why would why do people end up you know pursuing a real a long-term relationship with each other and um you know i think for for janie you know rocky really answered a lot of questions for her um she really hadn't been with someone who had treated her you know particularly great you know, maybe kind of mediocre before that. Um, but he was genuinely interested in her and, and wanted to include her in different parts of his life right away. And I think that that was, that was very compelling to her.
2: Yeah, I could definitely see that between them. Um, and one thing that was interesting to me too in reading this is that so many of the characters are kind of starting over in one way or another, whether it's personally or professionally or both. Um, so I definitely got this theme of like new beginnings and reinvention in the book. Is that something that resonates for you in your own life? In other I think ways? it definitely
4: seems to be something besides food that I keep going back to. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think about the three books I've written so far, and they all have a very strong element of that in it. Um in some cases they're seeking that out. In some cases it's been forced upon them. Um but I do think about that. And for me, you know, I always I always say to people that, you know, in writing about second acts I found my own. Um, I, you know, I'm I'm a high school social studies teacher. I've been teaching for twenty three years and while I am still teaching, um this whole writing thing has become a second act for me. And I am I'm very grateful for it. Um, it's it's definitely something that I've I've enjoyed doing from you know creative perspective, but also I've, I love learning new things. I love learning about about marketing and publication and how it all works. I've also really enjoyed getting to know a lot of other writers. Um, I, I've got a lot of writer friends now, some of whom I've met in real life, but many of whom I've never met and um, you know many of us talk all the time and that's been that has been one of the unexpected, Um, rewards of this whole, this whole thing.
2: Yeah, I think it's funny because writing itself is something that you kind of do by yourself alone in a room, right? But then for so many writers, the community is a huge part of what makes it rewarding. Um, And so I I love that you found that too through this. I never even
4: thought about it when I got started. You're right. It Mm -hmm. is very solitary in so many ways. And, um, I just thought about this as something that I could do for myself. And then, you know, in the last the last few years, I've realized, wow, there is, there's a whole community. And, and when I tell other people who don't write about this, they're kind of surprised. They're like, well, but you know, aren't you all kind of competing for readers? And I'm like, actually not really because readers read more than one book. And so if they're mm-hmm. gonna read, you know, Sarah's book, they also might read my book. Um, and that's, that's one of the, the things I've discovered.
2: Yeah, that's so true. Um, one thing that I, I loved in this book too, I always enjoy something that has some drama to it, but also some comedy to it. And you have some very kind of dark moments here and dramatic events, but there's also some nice little humor sprinkled throughout. Um, how did you find that balance between the drama and the humor? In the book? so,
4: Nora Ephron is one of my um, I, I have two two kind of heroes in my in my life, and the late Nora Ephron and, um, and Ina Garten because she's taught me most of most of what I know about cooking. Um, but but Nora Ephron always felt, I always felt like she did a good job with this. And Heartburn was a huge inspiration for me in writing First Course, you know, dealing with just these dark, terrible things, but finding comedy, oftentimes with food involved. Um, and, you know, I th- I think that, you know, as I get, I'm starting to think about some ideas for a fourth book right now. And some of the things I'm thinking about have having it base around, I'm like, oh, but I'm like, but it's got to be really funny at the same time. And we've got to find ways to continue to laugh.
2: Yeah, I, I love that. I think sometimes when you can bring out the humor, it actually makes the dark parts hit a little bit harder, right? Because um, you have that contrast there. Um, but I I want to get into talking with you some about the marketing for this book. I know you did some really creative things to market it. But before we dive into that, can you share a little bit of the story? Do you have a passage sure. that you can read
4: for us? So um I don't know. I think I've been thinking about this a lot, too, because I find I'm starting to discover the things that I I do in in writing without really realizing. But I love the sense of people kind of coming into your life at times when you need them the most. So um, this will kind of hit on that a little bit. Um, But this the setting, because I don't want to give too much into the beginning here because we don't have tons of time. But this is set in the L.L. Bean store in uh, Freeport, Maine, which is their main store. It's open 24 hours a day, every day of the year. So. Where are you? No one else was in the area of the store, but I found myself alone with water filtration systems and fire starters that doubled as whistles. In here, testing out my headlamp, Rocky's voice came from inside a tent. I stopped myself from leaping into it as quickly as I could, but made myself count to three before crawling into it with him. He would still be in there and I had to calm down. You've known him for one day. I wasn't sure why it had seemed so much longer, perhaps a lack of sleep, but it happily had. Happy. I realized I was actually momentarily happy. My parents were still gone. Cole was still a man-child. Patrick was still a douchebag. Lance was still a bully. And Alyssa was still opening her hips with Yoga Dude. But right then, I was happy. I went with that feeling. Rocky was lying down on his back, tossing a glow-in-the-dark frisbee towards the ceiling of the tent. The tent was on the bigger side, and I could easily lie down next to him. We took turns with the frisbee until he missed catching it, and it clocked him in the face, luckily away from his tender eye. We laughed and reached for each other's hands and were silent for a moment. Rocky rolled onto his side and leaned over and kissed me very softly, but quietly. And it felt so different to experience a first kiss that wasn't fueled by a party or drinks at a bar, but instead of by the circumstances of two people being in the right moment at the right time, who were genuinely and soberly enjoying getting to know each other. I rolled onto my side so that I was facing him and this time I initiated a kiss. Our headlamps crashed against each other. We laughed again, took them off, and went back to what we were doing. There were voices in the camping area now as a few shoppers had come to that corner of the store, but I was only minimally aware of them initially. A deep male voice got louder as it approached the tent. I think this would be big enough. Tell me what you think, he said. And he opened up the tent flap to find two 24 year olds making out. "Um, wow, I'm so sorry. I only expect to see this during the academic year. Rocky sat up very quickly, recognizing a familiar voice. Professor Manfred? The older man laughed. Rocky McCallan, why am I not surprised? Good to see you, my friend. Red-faced and mortified, I got out of the tent as soon as the professor backed out of its entrance. Rocky followed. We were standing in front of the man and who was presumably his wife in the middle of the camping section of L.L. Bean. I felt like I was a kid in trouble despite the fact that the professor and his wife were chuckling. Rocky broke the ice. So um, Janie, this is my college advisor, Professor Chris Manfred, and his wife, and I believe... Professor Manfred shook my hand. Yes, good memory, Rocky, this is Anne. We came down from Camden to look at tents for a camping trip we were taking over Labor Day weekend. We figured we would come down here tonight when it was likely to be pretty empty and we could try out the equipment, but it looks like you beat us to it. My face turned almost purple as I choked out. It's nice to meet you both. My parents were Anvil grads. Rocky interjected, oh, that's right. They are from around the same era. Professor, when did you graduate? Please, both of you, call me Chris, 1980. Almost 40 years ago. Wow. And two. Who were your parents, Janie? Oh my God, they were the same year, I answered. Mike and Corinne Whitman. Well, she was Corinne Olson while she was there. They got married soon after they graduated. Did you know them? Anne laughed and patted Chris on the shoulder. He knew them well. Chris put his arm around his wife's shoulder. Now that's a story. Screw the tent. Do you two care to go have a glass of wine with us? The heresy Inn is a block away. They have a lovely patio. I'll save the story until then.
2: That's great. And you definitely get some of the, both the romance and the humor in there too. And the great
4: thing is it's actually being made into an audiobook right now and is being released on May 9th. So
2: I'm really excited oh, about it. Yeah. What was that process like? How did you um, get that? Put so together? Um,
4: my I, I don't have a literary agent. And so my um, my press Touchpoint Press, they work with a subsidiary agent at Metamorphosis, and um, they were able to sell the um, audio rights to Tantor Audio, which I'm very excited about. They do a great job. And the uh, the narrator is she's fantastic.
2: Oh, That'll be great. Yeah, I could totally see this book being fun to listen to while you're on the treadmill or driving or anything like that. Um, That's awesome. And um, I know you've done a lot of work to publicize this novel and getting it out there in in a lot of different ways. Um, And since many of our listeners are writers themselves, and they're interested in tips on marketing and uh, publicity and that sort of thing, I wanted to kind of dig into that side of it a little bit. Um, one thing you did, which I think is really cool is the, uh, the first course, little free library project. I believe you got copies of this book into little free libraries in every state, right? So can you tell us a little bit about how you did that? So
4: I, you know, I, I started paying more attention to these libraries, um, you know, around the time the book was published and, you know, a few authors talked about doing this and I was like, I, you know, is this really going to make a difference? And, um, you know, I, I have to buy the books and things like that, so I, I was I wasn't exactly sure what to do, but I, I debuted in a very strange time. I mean, June of 2021 was odd. Um, you know, some a lot of things were open again, but a lot of bookstores either were still closed or they weren't doing very many events, and so I was really trying to think about what I could do. And I was in a, um, a Facebook group with an author who um, Ashley Renard, um, who wrote Swing, and she put books into a thousand little free libraries. And I was like, well, I don't think I can quite do a thousand. But I'm like, ah, every state, I think so. And I've ended up, you know, doing more more than that over the last um year and a half. But I reached out to friends, I put an open call out to my friends on Facebook and I just said, you know, who wants to help me with this? And I started off very small. I started off with, I think, Ten states and people were just chomping at the bit. They're like, "But you know, but I'm in this state and I can help." And I said, "Let's let's just see if this goes okay." And um, so I started off small and I asked them to place it in a library in their state, take a picture of it for me and i then would post that picture on social media mostly instagram but i was using facebook and twitter as well and i would tag in local indie bookstore in the post too as you know, if you get here and it's it's not there you know go ahead and order it from from this store and it really got a lot of traction a lot of people were really into it i did hear from some people who found the books in the libraries which was fantastic and um I ended up, you know, doing doing every state. And you know, there's even even a bunch of friends took the book on vacation, you know, overseas and just took pictures of it for me. And I just posted all this stuff to to Instagram. And I, I think it definitely expanded my readership um, because you know, I'm with a small press. I'm to get I've I've gotten into a bunch of small bookstores in New England, but beyond that is tricky. Um, you know, very slowly, I'm starting to get into some libraries. It's still a lot of marketing work on my part. And so this, I think, al- allowed people in other parts of the country who never would have known about this book otherwise to discover it.
2: Yeah, that, that's really smart. And I love the tie-in to um, independent yeah. bookstores, too. It's a great way to support them and, and kind of give back to them, but also potentially encourage people to go and order your book there and get it out in more Definitely. places. Um and the social media tie too. And I know you also wrote a blog post for our community blog talking about the process of how you did this. So I encourage everyone to go and check that out. I'm not sure as of when we're recording this, if it's up on the blog yet, but when this comes out, it should be. So definitely listeners go in, and read that. She gives a nice breakdown of how she made this happen. So it's very useful information um and and like you said you debuted at kind of a weird time for (laughs) for writers and booksellers um and you had to get pretty creative with your marketing strategy overall and i know aside from the little free library project you've done a bunch of other things um you have swag that you've given away like i got a very nice spatula from you with a book which i've definitely been putting to use um i think you shot a book trailer you've had events in uh locations outside of bookstores, like farm stands, cookware stores. Um, tell us about some of your creative marketing efforts and what worked well, and maybe some things in hindsight didn't work as well or weren't worth the effort. Um, what's kind of your takeover? Yeah, I mean,
4: I think I think just the circumstances have have forced a little bit of creativity that I, I hope will serve me well in the future. Um, and I did get, you know, I, I did have a virtual launch through, wonderful bookstore in the Boston area, Belmont Books. Um, And then I did manage to get a couple of outdoor signings, Wellesley Books in Massachusetts and Bank Square Books in uh, Mystic, Connecticut, both fantastic places. But beyond that, at least initially, I had to do a lot of creative things. So there is a bakery and cafe in in the book, Neshoba Brook Bakery. And um, I did do a signing there, which was great. They were thrilled um, for me to be on location. Um, There is a lovely farm stand in um, Bedford, Massachusetts called Chip and Farm. And so I did that. um, And I, I did really well there. But I've done like local artisans fairs um i did a very successful event just before the holidays this year so you know year and a half after the book was was launched um, at a clothing store in Concord Massachusetts which is um, where the main character and her sister are from. Um, so that was a nice little tie-in. I've done a couple you know a couple things up in Maine you mentioned the cookware store so it's you know it's just a little bit of creativity I've done a lot of giveaways. Um, I've done two Goodreads giveaways with 10 books each time. Um, which has been great because, um, you know, a lot of people on Goodreads are discovering it who didn't know about it otherwise. And, um, you know, just little things here and there that I've been able to connect with other authors on, you know, group giveaways and things like that. I'm part of a group called Bookish Road Trip and they do a Groundhog Day giveaway every year. So I did that. Um, I really try to play up the main aspect of the book. I've done. I've had um, tote bags made through LL Bean, and um, given those as some special special giveaways as well. So, um, you know, just trying trying anything I can. And um, you know, I'm tr- waiting on a pub date for Palms in the Cape for later this year. Um, that one's set on Cape Cod. So I've already connected to one um, one store owner there. She owns the most wonderful um, houseware store in Dennis, where the book is set. So we're hoping to do a collaboration at some point.
2: I love that. I think that's such a great idea to to pull on themes or places, locations in the book, whether it's a store, um, a, a whole state of Maine, or, you know, the idea of cooking or baking and, and ways to kind of tie that into your promotions too. Because if you're just targeting bookstores, libraries, things like that, like you're up against all the other books that are out there. So it kind of helps you find a different market, I would imagine. Um, so that's a really, really smart strategy. Um, And I know that you've also been recognized in a number of different contests and festivals with this, which is awesome. Um, A few of them, the National Indie Excellence Awards, Independent Author Network Awards, the Paris Book Festival, the San Francisco Book Festival, a bunch of others. Um, can you talk about your strategy with entering contests and festivals and um, what maybe you've gotten out of getting those recognition? Um, so I really
4: followed the lead of a very successful debut author from um, 2020, and that was even a harder time to, to launch a first book. Um, but Lainey Cameron, who has been very successful, wrote a wonderful book called The Exit Strategy. Um, I I followed her lead and entered a bunch of the stuff that she had entered. And there are a number of these contests for, for people like me who are with smaller presses and, um, you know, you, you don't win everything you enter, but I've had some success. And I do think it's been, you know, once again, helpful for getting my name out there, um, for people discovering my book, giving me some, um, some great material for social media, um, but also just for, you know, getting additional interviews and, and podcasts. And still, I think at this point, you know, the fact that it was published in June of 2021, we're getting close to two years later, and I'm still able to, to, to get a few more things going. I just got into a number of libraries in the Boston area, finally, you know, and I think the, I think the awards really helped.
2: Yeah, and and that also is a testament to how uh, publishing and marketing is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And here you are, you know, almost two years later, and you're still actively promoting, but you're still, you know, growing your readership. And that's wonderful. Um, I think that's a good mindset to have. I know one thing that, for me, as challenging as a writer, and I think a lot of writers feel this way, is, is it can be tough to balance the actual writing with all of the marketing and platform building and social media and everything else that you have to do as an author. How do you kind of strike that balance and preserve time for the writing itself? I think
4: I just I have to schedule like a doctor's appointment. I have to think, okay, you know, w- look at the week ahead. This is when I have some time. Um, this is when I'm going to write. You now, it really depends on where I am in the process. Right now, I. I am about to get back my notes um, for my third book from my my beta reader, and I need to you know work on the next round of revisions before I start sending sending it out into the world. And um, so I'm not actually drafting anything new right now, um, but I am. You know, as things come to me, and it's always in the strangest places. Like, you know, it's usually when I'm doing the laundry or taking a shower or in the car, um, just trying to get down as many notes for my fourth book as I can so that, you know, I'm sort of on a June to or July to December. Drafting schedule right now because um, I'm trying to write a book a year, and so my my goal is to be able to start that in the beginning of July and just have everything ready to go before then. So just continuing to get those ideas down. But to be honest with you, all the books are starting to you know run together a little bit in my head, and so there are times I have to be like, now what book am I thinking about right now? Um, because when you're you know when you're getting up to four, there there's a lot of characters, and I do wonder about the people who've written 20 books. You know, I'm like, this must get confused using sometimes
2: I would imagine especially because you know it the it kind of overlaps too like you're promoting one while you're writing exactly. another and so you still have to remember the different characters and story and keep them all apart right. <laughs> Um, so one question as we wrap up that I, I love to ask a lot of our writers is if you could go back in time and talk to your younger self and give yourself a piece of advice as a younger writer that you think would have helped you along the way, um, what would you want to tell yourself?
4: I think there was just so much, first of all, I wish I had started earlier. Um, you know, I just didn't even have the, the idea to do this until I was later in my, in my thirties. And, um, I wish I'd started a little earlier, but that's okay. Nothing I can do about that now, but I, I do wish I just didn't know what was going to happen. I think, you know, I think we're all like that. You know, if I, if someone had said, look, this is going to work out, like you're going to get published. I think that that would have probably given me the confidence um, to probably draft the first book a little quicker. It took me two and a half years, I think, because there was so much doubt. I really just didn't know what I was doing. But drafting the second and third books has taken me six months each time. And I think part of that is the confidence, just knowing that I know I can do this and I know there's going to be a path for these books.
2: Yeah. Once you've done it once, you've seen that it's possible and you can do it again. Um, Well, I I feel like your journey is very inspiring and I definitely have picked up some good tips that I'm going to take with me and I'm sure a lot of our listeners will. So thank you so much for joining us. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks, Sarah. This
4: has been so much fun.
2: If you are an author who would like to be featured on the show, check out our submission process on the contact page of charlottemeterspodcast.com. Please understand that given the number of submissions we receive, we can't respond to every submission or feature everyone who submits, but with the Beyond 300 format, we are featuring more authors in many different ways. You might be interviewed or provide us some audio content for us to play, or participate in an author or marketing talk, or get a shout out for your publication. One way to be sure to get a mention on the show is to submit a 750 word list blog post to our community blog on a writing or marketing topic. If it's accepted, we may have you on to discuss the content. Just go to charlottereaderspodcast.com and look for the community blog for details.
0: All right, here we are. This is our writing topic discussion today. Uh, we are going to focus on our second book in the Write Quotes series. It's really going to be fun. We have uh, audio of the forward uh, and the reflections in the book, and we're going to share some of our favorite quotes from the book. Um, This is book two, Learning to Write. It's sort of where you start with this process of being a writer, whether it's uh, early in your life or later in your life, as it was for me. So let's do this. We're going to play the forward right now. This is uh, Sarah uh, speaking. She wrote the forward for uh, book two, and uh, then we're going to talk a little bit about some of the quotes, and then we'll end up with my reflections about the book. So here we go with the foreword.
2: We writers of the world have an advantage, longevity. Writing is a craft you can undertake at any age. Authors we featured or recommended on the podcast range from Sidney Horn, who shared her work with us at age 15, to Barbara Kremen, who published her short story collection, The Figure in the Glass, at age 99, It's never too early or too late to to write, and never too early or too late to learn about writing. So how exactly does one learn to write? That's a question that's almost as difficult to answer as how we write at all. It's not a skill where you can take some lessons and pass an exam to confirm that, yes, you do indeed know how to write. There's a degree of natural talent involved, of course, and there's your voice, your individual way of viewing the world and expressing that. But writers are made, not born almost any author who has had success will tell you that they put in many hours over years to get there. Formal schooling is often a factor. Many authors' origin stories begin with a teacher, either one who praised their writing and encouraged them, or who doubted their abilities and motivated them to prove themselves. But you certainly don't need a degree to be a writer. The authors in these pages talk about learning their craft from skills gained on the job, from conferences, community writing programs, books about writing, conversations with other writers, spending time in nature or meditating, and processing reviews and feedback. I believe there are two mandatory components to learning how to write. You read, you write. That's it. (laughs) You learn to write by doing it and by studying the work of others who do it well, which, let's face it, is a pretty fun assignment. You never stop learning, either. Every time you sit down to read or write, you're making yourself a better writer. No matter where you are in your writing journey, I hope you take some insight and inspiration from these quotes and that you embrace your unique lifelong path. As Lisa Jewell says, just do it now. You don't have to wait. All
0: right, Sarah. Great forward. Uh, Appreciate that. Uh, We, um, this is the fun part. We get to pick out a few quotes and talk about them. Um, And it's interesting, we've got quotes with with different themes, although it's about learning to write. Uh, I think you'll find some similarities here, but uh, we've got uh, one that... uh, is from uh, Julia Jordan Zachary that uh, Hannah picked out. Hannah, let's start with that. It's short, sweet, to the point. Where's yeah, I way?
3: love this. Um, it's you kind of have to know what you are capable of. Um, I just love that from Julia Jordan Zachary. I thought that was like, it's just you're right, short, sweet, and you just have to, that's that's the key to all of it, right? It's just kind of knowing that you can do anything and believing in yourself. And I mean, it's, it's kind of, um, I don't know. I think that's one of those things that you can carry around in your back pocket and just whip it out when you really need it and just say, you know what? I can actually, I can do this. I can do this. (laughs) You know,
0: it also, it also sounds a little bit like a warning, you know, like, uh, don't get too close to the edge of the cliff when you first start hiking. True. Uh, That's a good
3: point. (laughs) 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 Didn't think of it like that, but yes. (laughs) Uh,
0: What about your perspective on this? Sarah?
3: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think it's,
2: uh, kind of like Hannah was saying, it's, it's knowing what you're capable of and it's also believing what you're capable of. And I think sometimes there's a disparity, like you have to believe that you can do something before you can actually do it. Um, so yeah, I think that's a really great sentiment is, and sometimes, I don't know, I feel like I, I've been writing for years, but I still often feel like I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) And so it's helpful to kind of remind yourself like, no, I've done this before. I can keep doing it and, and just believe that.
0: Yeah, that's great. Well, the next quote, um, this is one that uh, Sarah picked out from Steve Barry. We've had him on our podcast several times. It kind of ties into the comment I made earlier. Why don't you share that, Sarah?
2: Yeah, so Steve Berry said, anybody, any age, any time. That's the great thing about writing is an acquired skill, and anyone can acquire it. Um, and I just think that's so true. Like, anybody can write um And I think it's one of the great things about writing is that there's such a variety in people's voices and perspectives. And so to have people from different walks of life, all, you know, picking up the pen and and writing is a great thing. Um, And we've talked about age on this podcast sometimes too. Like we've had a teenage author on the show. We've talked about books from writers who are in their nineties. So like, yeah, any, any age, any time of life it's never too early or too late. You can always write.
0: Yeah, I was, uh, and you can always learn too, as you go, because I was reading a I'm reading a thriller right now. I didn't get it quite finished before I interviewed Stephen James recently. He's going to be on the podcast coming up. He's a thriller writer, and uh, he just does some great things in the book plot-wise and also with the, the descriptions. I'm, and I'm just as I'm reading, I'm learning, right? I'm like, oh, I see how he did that. And I thought, oh, this is cool. When he's talking about a bad guy entering a building, he's not using a name it's the guy who's wearing the overalls that look like a janitor's yeah. outfit, you know, <laughs> uh, you sort of get this image right away, right? This is a bad guy you yeah. know? <laughs> entering the room. So you, you can learn as well by this and you can always learn. H- Hannah, what, what about you? Anybody, any age? Yeah. Anytime? I love
3: that you mentioned the teenage author, Sarah, Sydney Horn. I always, I feel like I'll always remember mm-hmm. her. I thought she was just fantastic. And I've thought about her a lot actually, since we played her uh, post on here, because it's just like, you think about, it's, it's really true if you put your mind to something and you have that calling to you know tell a story it doesn't really matter if you're 15 or if you're 85 right it's like there is um one author i think you know him landis bruce mcintyre in charlotte and he mm-hmm. is 81 and he just put, like published his first memoir like his first big book yeah. and he he's just killing it <laughs> He's like the coolest yeah. guy, you know, but it's just goes to show you if you have, if you want to do it, you can do it. Like you have to put the work in and you have to have that drive, but you know, it's, I, I think that's just a really great message. I love that. Especially coming from Steve Barry, you know, cause he's, he's super, like he knows yeah. what he's doing. <laughs> so I, I love yeah, that. Shout out
0: to uh, Bruce McIntyre here. I actually uh, blurbed his book. I was honored to be able to do that with some other authors here in Charlotte. And, uh, Great. Yeah. Great. Uh, memoir, awesome. uh, talks about his life and the intersection between the end of his career and a cancer diagnosis and how he navigated that. And, uh, uh, so yeah, he's um, killing it. I love him. <laughs> uh, well, I've got a quote here from David Badalchi who's been on the show a couple of times. It ties into these first two. Uh, and he says, it's small steps. You can't do it all at once. And the reason I like that is because in addition to what we talked about, anybody, any age, any time, and, you know, know what you're capable of, um, you know, it's not something you can just uh, suddenly jump into because you think uh, you've been a writer all your life. You've got to be a little patient, right? And patience, uh, Iago, I think that's the (laughs) phrase that we used to say, you know, when, when when you get out of... And you're just so frustrated that you can't have it and do it. You want to do it and you want to get it out there and whatever. But it's small steps. So as he says, you can't do all at once. So it's good advice from a best-selling author who sold millions and millions of books to just saying, okay, okay, you got to, I mean, he was a lawyer for many years before he could actually turn to writing full time. And he was writing while he was a lawyer for many years. And the uh, uh, same was true for John Grisham until they figured a way out and Steve Barry until they figured a way out. I never figured a way out, but they did. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm just still recovering, but uh, that, it, it's it's a good point, right? Small steps. Uh, you can't do it all at once. Is that is that been y'all's experience, Sarah? What about you?
2: yeah well, I think that's so true also just for like the actual process of how you write something like it's it's one word at a time, and sometimes when you start, you have this sort of amorphous vision of what you want the end product to be, and it can be really frustrating when you start writing and you're like, "Oh, this is nothing like what I wanted, <laughs> or nothing like the original idea I have, but you have to keep reminding yourself like no, you you do it one step at a time, like it'll get there, it takes multiple drafts, it takes some time, but you just have to kind of keep at it and plug away,
0: yeah. Now, Hannah, you, you're a big uh, proponent of this idea of storytelling in marketing, mm-hmm. and, and so I'm going to turn to you for a quote you picked uh, from Kat Warren um, and let you share that.
3: Yeah, yeah, I love this quote. Um, Kat says, my job is actually to convince writing students that it's about storytelling, that we're just using a different kind of approach to ancient storytelling methods, and that that's their job. Um I love that because I think uh you know when I'm initially talking to authors I'm going to work with I I always sort of bring it back to like okay so writing is your job like this the book is the business the story is the job like that's what you do your job is to help to you know help your story land with the right people you're it's and I think when you do that like when you look at it as your job the writing as your job and you're kind of just like the storytelling, like evoking emotion, you know, all the things, the fun things that kind of go with storytelling, like helping people transform, making them feel a certain way, encouraging um, action or decision-making, you know, whatever it might be. Uh, That's your job. And I think the power – people who do write and create, it's like – if you look at it like that, like that responsibility that you have with the person that you're connecting with, or the person that you're telling the story to, it's just like such a powerful thing, and it kind of goes back to authenticity as well, like we, which we've talked to talked about in previous episodes, where um, you know people can feel when you're t- doing an telling an authentic story to yourself that you've kind of put that effort into, made it into your job. So I just felt like that was really powerful.
0: Yeah, and and this idea of storytelling and students and and learning uh, ties into a quote, uh, Sarah, that you picked uh, by Michael Allman, if you want to share that.
2: Yeah, um, Michael says, I wasn't really sure that I knew how to do it. You learn how to do it by doing it, Um, which is so true, and it kind of touches on some of the stuff that we've just been talking about. But I like to remind myself that every time I'm writing, I'm learning how to write and I'm getting better. Every time I'm reading, I'm learning how to to write better. I think, like, so many many of the things you write for many writers don't really go anywhere in a very visible sense. Like, you're going to write things that are never going to get published or sold. Um, But I I also believe that it's never a waste of time because you're always improving and kind of honing your technique every time that you're writing. Um, and, I mean, it's also just, it's that simple. Like, you learn how to do it by doing it. <laughs> so I like the way that he phrases that. You know, there's no kind of magic trick to just wake up one day and be an amazing writer. You just have to keep keep doing it. <laughs>
0: yeah. Like Baldacci said, small mm-hmm. steps. You can't do it all at mm-hmm. once. Well, that ties into um, another way to learn. Um, Matthew uh, Duffus uh, says, I tell my students, good writers borrow, great writers steal. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and that's uh, that's why you start a podcast, folks, and interview authors because <laughs> it's a great way to grab some material to put in your book or your techniques. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I really did. I and I've told the authors I've stolen some of their techniques, and uh, uh, you know, it's it's it, that's look, part of it. <laughs> there hasn't been, there hasn't been a story told today that hasn't been told in some form or fashion, sometime before. It's just how it's told, and it's uh, how it's enriched by you know, the places and, you know, the characters are invented and that kind of thing. So yeah, learn by reading other writers and, you know, you're not really stealing, but uh, you just kind of, well, maybe you are, <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> but but let me just say this. I think writers yeah. understand it. Writers yes. share, you know, writers don't mind mm-hmm. people borrowing their ideas to kind of flatter, yeah. you know, as if, if they do. Uh, well, let's see. Um, we're talking about classes and studying and writers and cj box tried it um he tried going to class and learning writing and uh, uh hannah you can tell <laughs> us about his experience with yeah. this quote
3: cj says i could never complete a creative writing class in college i just didn't like them it seemed like they were trying to teach fledging writers how to write a short story for the new yorker that was not anything i was interested in what i learned about writing i learned from journalism from being a reporter from meeting a deadline from writing for little weekly newspapers um I loved this. I f- I loved him just sort of, you know, authentically sharing that experience for himself, and I relate to that a lot too. Um, kind of similar to the quote that you shared earlier from Michael Sarah. It's it's like I don't. I just do the thing. I do not like school. Mm-hmm. I I was. I'm gonna go ahead and just say I was a rebel <laughs> in my school days. I like did not like it. I didn't go to class. I I was just like. I wanted to do things. I wanted to do it. I'm like, what am I doing sitting here? Why am I doing this? So it's like the fact that he's saying like being in the field. Right. So like being a reporter, writing for little weekly newspapers where he's he's like with the people in his community, like learning about them so directly. Um, And that's you know, it doesn't surprise me that he ended up being such an amazing writer, because when you have those small interactions with just people, on a daily basis you get just so, like so much inspiration i feel like and i just i mean i thought it was great like I, I you you learn by being out there
0: why does it not surprise me and i think sarah would probably support my not being surprised hannah could not sit still i was horrible
3: like honestly my parents when the day i got married my i was like my parents are just so happy i ended up here <laughs> like i could i could i could tell some stories like i just didn't like school i yeah. wasn't a school person and my husband
0: we're gonna have to have a whole episode devoted to his mean, life. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah that's
3: that yes exactly i want to hear I, the stories I, I we'll but, get together for coffee got, <laughs> or maybe when, some wine
0: right. <laughs> okay all right well um speaking of learning uh one one uh, author we've had on the show who's been a real teacher of uh writers is ron rash and uh Sarah, you picked out one of the quotes from him in this book on learning to write. Would you like to share that?
2: Yeah, uh, this is a little bit of a longer one, but it's good. Um, He says, when I was a very young writer, I thought I had to know the whole story before I wrote it. Robert Frost said, no surprise in the writer, no surprise in the reader. It's those unexpected moments where the characters in the story surprise us that it's also going to surprise the reader and maybe take us into a place we hadn't anticipated and very often maybe a deeper place than we would have gotten to if we had gone on a strict way from beginning to end. Um, and, and I really like that. I like both kind of the quote within the quote, the Robert Frost thing about mm-hmm. no surprise in the writer, no surprise in the reader, and also Ron's kind of commentary around it. Um, I think we've talked before on the show about the idea of like plotters versus pantsers, you know, yeah. like writers who outline and plan versus just <laughs> jumping in and finding the story as they go. And I've I shared that I'm very much like a plotter and I like to outline and I like to plan and know where I'm going. But I think this is a good reminder that there's also definitely something to be said for surprising yourself along the way and, and letting the characters kind of speak to you and just leaving room for that creativity and inspiration. Um, and sometimes those are the best moments in being a writer is when you're, you're working on something and you come up with something that you're like, Oh, how did, where does that even come from? But it just feels right. You know? Yeah. Um, so I love those moments when they happen. Sometimes they, they're kind of few and far between, but <laughs> they're and great I've, when you get there.
0: And I've shared on the show that I'm Less like, sarah I'm not as much of a plotter or planner, and more of a, I don't know, a discovery writer because I like to leave myself with cliffhangers and then try to figure a way out of them. And uh, I get surprised by the way you know it turns, and and that's that's been kind of fun. And when you're not on a deadline, it's a it's a great way to write. But uh and sarah and I are going to try to write something together. It'll be interesting to see how our styles come together. You, mm-hmm. know, you probably where, learn from uh, each other. She's <laughs> <it>. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. uh well, we're going to finish up with one that I, a little humor here. I think it's fun. Um, Renee Winchester um, uh, wrote a great book, read her on the show. And here's what she says. And I think, it, take this to heart, folks. The best thing that an author can have is a writing friend who's immensely more successful than they are. <laughs> There's so many good nuggets mm-hmm. in here. We use the word nugget. Hannah I loves do. the word nugget. So we'll I put nugget in nuggets. here. Nuggets. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I always call
3: my dog a nugget. He he is a little nugget. (laughs) (laughs) He is. That's
0: right. But be thinking about this because when you're talking about promoting your book or marking your book or figuring out where you're going astray in your writing, having someone that's done it and is more successful is a great way. It's kind of like maybe why Simon is in Montessori school because he's just learning to paint. But the three year old, they've been painting for a year, you know, and they're going to share what they've learned. And Maybe he'll listen, mm-hmm. maybe he won't, but uh, we'll see. Uh, he, he seems to come in with paint all over him, so I'm not sure how much he's listening. At least he's Love that for him. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's great. Well, look, this has been good. Uh, we could go all day with the quotes, so we're going to play the, the reflections now and then uh, come back and uh, let you know uh, a little bit about uh, what's coming. Uh, well, Actually, we've got a few book recommendations and then what's coming next. So let's do this, uh, Well, the reflections, and be right back. Lessons I learned from the quotes in this book. One of the biggest lessons I learned from the topics covered in this book is that these authors have been through the grinder and know what it's like to learn to write. For me, learning to write is an ongoing process. I inherited the itch to tell stories from my grandfather, Jake Way, a sports writer for the Charlotte Observer in the 1930s and 40s, and later sports information director at UNC. I first wrote sports columns for the Myers Park High School newspaper. While playing football and baseball, so I was able to put the best spin on what happened in the games. And speaking of spinning tales, when I became a trial lawyer, every case I handled was a story waiting to be told. And being a courtroom attorney for 35 years helped me hone my storytelling skills. The law taught me how to write persuasively. Depositions and trials taught me to examine witnesses, a form of research and an exploration of how to write dialogue. But it wasn't enough. Writing fiction was a whole new ballgame for me, and I was gratified to hear New York Times bestselling novelist David Baldolce, a lawyer himself, encouraged me when he said, it's small steps, you can't do it all at once. Arthur Bud Schill, a writer with a sense of humor, made fun of the task of learning to write when he said that either the British biologist Thomas Henry Huxley, known as Darwin's bulldog, or someone else theorized that if you were to put an infinite number of monkeys in front of an infinite number of typewriters for an infinite period of time. Eventually, they would write a Shakespearean sonnet. Apparently, the monkeys were self-taught. New York Times bestselling novelist C.J. Box admits he was self-taught, but the method he used was not banging around like a bunch of monkeys. He said, I deconstructed the books I really liked on my own to figure out how that author got me into it, what the pace was, what the arc was, the point of view. His method of self-instruction is why this book includes an entire section on reading. In short, if you don't have time to read, you don't have time to write. When we think about learning to write, many of us think about discovering the rules of writing, whether by hook or crook or expensive graduate program. Lawyers tend to think in straight lines. That's why I'll never be able to write literary fiction. I'm a more of a point A to point B kind of guy, a logical thinker, the guy who can look at an abstract painting and ask, what some measure of indifference, what the hell is that? It's a blessing and a curse because I connect with primary colors and struggle with chartreuse. What did your lovely point mean is the question I want to ask poets, but they tell me that's just not done. You're supposed to let it wash over you and come to your own conclusions, a rule that makes no sense to me. Some authors eschew formal rules toward a more refreshing, common-sense approach to learning to write. Sure, there are some basic rules that might be good to learn so we know how to break them at the appropriate times. But more often than not, as New York Times bestselling author Ron Rash says, we're not making McDonald's hamburgers. There's just no clear-cut way to do it. Maybe we just need to follow author Renee Winchester's advice. She says, The best thing that an author can have is a writing friend who's immensely more successful than they are. New York Times bestselling novelist Craig Johnson echoed her point when he said, I learned more in four hours of sitting and talking with Tony Hillerman than I may have gotten in an entire year's master's degree in writing. Author Heather Newton offers three things that have helped her become a mature writer. One is community writing programs, another is continuing education affiliated with the university, and the other thing is conferences where if you admire a particular writer, chances are good that you can find them at a conference and take a master class with them. These are the kind of places where you might learn that, as New York Times bestselling author Wally Cash says, there is no one answer. There are many answers. We learn from these writers that they approach learning to write in many different ways. Some get degrees, some take classes, some read craft books, others pick the brains of their writer friends, others write to find their voices and themselves, and many learn by just doing it. They admit that the learning curve is steep, that the early days are like riding a bike with training wheels, but they say you do get better with time. But the best lesson we learn is, as best-selling author Brian Andrews says, you can't just train once for the Olympics and then cruise for the rest of your career. No, it's a never-ending process of trying to maintain your level of performance as a writer. You might wonder why we included a section on teaching writing in this book. Reason number one is that writers are good teachers and the lessons they impart to their students are good lessons for us all. I enjoyed asking authors what they tell their students on the first day of class and the last day of class. On the first day of class, they ask their students to confront their assumptions about their art, to be willing to be patient, to notice everything, to be curious, to believe in their stories, to really think about their stories, to feel what they write, and to remember that not everything they write will be publishable. And on the last day of class, they tell their students to think about what they learned and what is still left to be learned. And to remember, as Wally Cash says, when you graduate, people ask you, so what are you going to do now? I encourage you to decide what you want to be. Being a writer is something that is almost inborn. Be that, be that. You can do other stuff, but be a writer too. When you come home from whatever you're doing, come home to what you are and don't lose sight of that if that is something that is inside of you. There's also a section on teaching writing in this book because writers learn when they teach. Amy Willoughby Burrell says, I'll be in the middle of a lesson and I'm teaching a technique that's a little bit more advanced or something about plotting, and while I'm talking about it and teaching them, I'm thinking, oh goodness, I need to do that in my own story. I see where I'm going wrong. The same is true for me. I've found that when I pass along what I've learned about writing, I remember it better the next time I sit down to write. It's called repetition. The skeptics among us would say we're back to the monkeys tapping away until they stumble upon greatness, but I submit that it's all part of the process. In fact, by compiling these quotes and writing these reflections, I might become just a little bit better. We wrap up this book with a section on reading because if I had to make a list of rules for how to become a better writer, reading widely and frequently would be a good candidate for rule number one. All these authors expressed a love of reading, they say they were raised in a library. They say they read constantly. They say that you can't be a writer without being a reader. They say they stay up late and fall asleep reading and that they were and are surrounded by books. They read to be entertained, to escape, to connect, but also to be informed and learn about the world around them. Learning how to write from reading is a bonus, but also the necessary fuel for success. As award-winning author Frank Morelli says, a professor once told me that if you're going to be a writer, Reading is eating. If you don't feed yourself, you can't produce anything. Once you stop that cycle, you're going to cut off your inspiration. I happen to believe that writing is a magical thing. It cannot always be explained, but it can be practiced, and therein lies the mystery. That's why we should never graduate from our chosen school of writing. In order to find a way into your stories, ask questions, not just the obvious ones. And don't just tell it like it is. Tell it like it really is. A Southern writer Rick Bragg said in a workshop I took with him, paint that picture and hang it on the ear."
2: For all things Charlotte Readers Podcast, check out charlottereaderspodcast.com. You can find a list of all episodes, an alphabetical guest list with links, detailed show notes for each episode, a community blog, and more. We'd love to have you visit.
0: All right. Thanks for listening to those. Uh, you can order this book online, uh, book two in the right quote series, wherever books are sold. And when you do, you're going to support the podcast and Hey, please join our street team. Uh, check out the podcast books page on the website to learn how, when you do, we're going to, Hey, send you the books for free. All you got to do is leave an online review that a few words of what you liked about the book and, uh, you'll get it free. It's a digital PDF with clickable links. Uh, and Hey, if you join our Patreon page for as little as $5 a month, We'll send you one ebook a month from the series for free every month. You remember, uh, plus you're going to get over 150 exclusive episodes. Here endeth the commercial. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's do this. Um, act three: book recommendations. Uh, we got uh, elevator Pitch. Uh, what book you got for us this week, Sarah?
2: Um, so I have been listening on Libro.fm to Liberation Day by George Saunders, which is a short story collection. I've read a little bit of Saunders' work in the past, and I've always wanted to read more of him. Um, I still need to read Lincoln and the Bardo, which I know everyone reads about. But this is a great start. It's it's a collection, so it's easy to kind of jump into and, and listen to a little bit at a time. Um, and his stories are just so imaginative. It's like in each one, you're in a totally different world, and you're kind of mm-hmm. figuring out the rules of the world and wait, who are these people? What's going on here um, as you go? But it's a lot of Fun. He's also got a great knack for kind of picking up on um, dialogue and kind of the American vernacular of different communities. Um, and the audiobook is also a really fun listen because they have different actors reading each of the stories. I mean, people like Tina Fey, Jenny Slate, um, Laura Hardin, Jack McBrayer—like a lot of actors with really good comedic chops. So they bring a lot of humor to the stories as well. Um, so it's a great read, and, and definitely if you're looking for the audio version,
3: I think that that's a fun way to listen to it
0: uh hannah what you got for
3: (laughs) i am sharing something a little bit different for me um i usually i feel like don't i'm not as much of like i love poetry but um i've found it hard over the last couple of years to you know dive back into it I should probably get some of your recommendations Sarah but um, I'm sharing love poems by Pablo Neruda today and I kind of just that we had one of his poems at our wedding I mean my husband's wedding and um, I just I I feel like I've been up at night a lot more (laughs) and sometimes it's nice to just have some like short lyrical (laughs) pieces to read Um, I actually have the book that copy of that book and like so many of the pages are just torn out and framed around my house um just really beautiful poems very like just sweet and kind of positive but also kind of thought-provoking about relationships and marriage and stuff like that so um and it's it's good just if you need something quick to kind of make you think a little bit
0: there you go all right well uh audiobook recommendation poetry and now i'm gonna recommend something a little different uh, a magazine um, i get writers digest magazine I also get their free email newsletter you can sign up and they're gonna put stuff in your inbox if you're a writer that's actually very helpful um, you're gonna get uh, some great articles you're gonna get some tips on writing this month's issue is titled exploring genre fiction which is something i write in and so it's interesting to me and uh... I like to have the hard copy magazine, too. You do so much online, so um, uh, I would recommend the Writer's Digest magazine. Let's see what Mark West uh, is up to today with his recommendation.
1: Hello, this is Mark West with the Story Charlotte blog. My book recommendation today is called Picasso, a Biography. It's written by Patrick O'Brien. I've been thinking about Picasso a lot lately because of the wonderful Picasso exhibit at the Mint Museum. O'Brien's biography of Picasso provides an overview of Picasso's entire life. You also get in the biography a real sense of Picasso's personality, his contacts with the art world, his exuberant approach to life, For anyone who's interested in the artist behind these very famous paintings of his, I think that O'Brien's biography is a perfect place to start. I highly recommend it.
0: All right, thanks, Mark. Uh, And folks, you don't have to take uh, notes, uh, and hopefully you won't be doing that while you're driving if you're listening, but uh, (laughs) we'll put these book recommendations in our newsletter so you'll have them there. Uh, And hey, we've got an elevator pitch today. It's, uh, these are fun, they're easy to do, Um, 30 seconds or less. I say they're easy to do, it's easy to record for 30 seconds, it's not easy to (laughs) do a pitch. But uh, if you're gonna try to promote your book, it's worth giving it a shot. Uh, It's free to you, Uh, you know, just go to our website and look for the link on the contact tab there for elevator pitches. It'll direct you to our SpeakPipe uh, page where you can record the audio. Let's hear what Eric Lewis is offering with his elevator pitch. Hey everybody, Eric Lewis here, author of Southern States, A Memoir. If you want sex, sodomy, religion, and dysfunctional families, this is the book for you. And let me tell you folks, at $4.99, it is just about the cheapest damn thing you can buy in this economy. Go to Amazon today and buy Southern States by Eric Lewis. It's a great
3: read that you won't soon forget. All right, bye-bye. Eric, Eric, I I love that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sold.
0: (laughs) Hannah, the publicist, loves the cheapest damn thing. And by the way, the right quote series is $4.99 on Amazon. As Eric said, about the cheapest damn thing you can get? Exactly. So, uh, yeah, just each book. So much personality. Great great work, Eric. Uh, Might want to read your memoir, not at eight in the morning, but. uh, um, all right, uh, Sarah, what uh, was coming next?
2: Uh, next time, we're going to feature co-authors J.C. Sellers and Nicole Darkangelo um, with their book *A Feathers Forest*, which is a fantasy novel that arose from the question, "What if your bedtime fantasy story turned out to be your family history?" And then we're also going to feature author P.J. Alexander, author of *Dark Innocence*, which is a dark homage to *The Wizard of Oz*, and his blog, t- blog post titled *Work in Progress*, which explores writing rules and experiences. Plus, we're going to have a thought-provoking Charlotte two-minute tip, um, and of course, as always, elevator pitches and our book recommendations.
0: Yeah, all right, good stuff. Uh, Anna, take us on.
3: All right, everybody, just read on, write on, and uh, buy Eric Lewis's book and rock on. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, rock on with that four ninety-nine deal. Yes, cheapest thing. <laughs>